me as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Aren't you glad for that? Almost sounds strange in this modern day to express love in rebuke and chastening. Because we have been filled with so much philosophy of men and our flesh doesn't like to be corrected. So it's hard for us to understand that kind of love. But a, kind, a true love, a God kind of love is a love that rebukes and chastens. I'm glad for that. He says, be zealous therefore and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. So there's a supper that he's inviting us to. He says, to him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne. And so associated with this supper is the throne of God or the kingdom of God. So we have an invitation to come into the throne. Now, if you think about the whole body of Christ, millions upon millions of people, there's no way that this can be literal. That you can't just go sit with the Lord in a, in a chair. How, is all, how are all millions and billions of people, the saved of God, going to sit in a chair? Well, it's a picture of us coming into that dimension called kingdom or the throne of God in that realm. Do you understand that? Amen. Because we can't literally sit down with him physically in a chair. Amen. I want you to think about that. These are symbolisms here. So he said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice and I open, I will come into him and will sup with him. And he with me, to him that overcometh, will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. Now that's literal, of course, that part. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So he just speaks to seven churches and then he speaks to the overcomers in each one of those churches. And the overcomers invited into the throne room or the kingdom reign of God. Amen. So that's happening in the spirit now. But ultimately it will take place in the future in an ultimate sense. We talked about the spiritual aspect of it last week. We're going to talk about the ultimate fulfillment of it in prophecy today. For me, the way I see this, and I'm going to let you sit down in just a moment. But the way I see this as I meditated upon it is that we see now the church moving from the time of the church age into the kingdom age, <clears throat> which is at the end of the tribulation period. <clears throat> Do you understand that? Okay. So <clears throat> Revelation 2 and 3 is the church age. And Revelation 4 takes us beyond the church age. But Revelation 4 is not pre-tribulational. It is after the church age, but it is not pre-tribulational. It's after the tribulation that this is going to happen. Because the kingdom age doesn't start until after the tribulation. So we're invited as a church into this kingdom age type reign of God in an ultimate sense. Do you understand that? Ooh, praise God. Now, for a long time we preached from this passage a pre-trib rapture. But there's nothing in this passage that preaches a pre-trib rapture. It does preach beyond the church age. And it does preach to the church inviting them into the kingdom age. But it does not say that it's prior to the seven year tribulation period. That is not in that Bible. Okay. And so having said that I had to meditate on this passage. Just to see what God's really saying here. Because pre-tribulation. And I, you know you can sit down. I'm already starting to teach so. 
And I'll get into Revelation 4 in just a moment. All right. This morning, I'm going to talk about the kingdom of God, the throne. I'm going to talk about Rahab. I'm going to talk about the city of Jericho. I'm going to talk about Leviathan. And I'm going to talk about Behemoth. The kingdom of God, Rahab, city of Jericho, Leviathan, and Behemoth. All of that is in these few verses. Okay, you with me here? All right, let me read it to you again. Uh, verse 20, chapter 3. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice, open the door. I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne. So not everybody's going to get there. It's only to the overcomers. This is a promise to the overcomers. You've got to overcome everything that he talked about in Revelation 2 and 3. All those spirits, all those false doctrines, all of that stuff that goes on. You have to overcome all of that to participate in the kingdom of God. All right? So he goes on and he says this. It, um, Verse 22, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. After this, after what? After what he said to the churches. And if the churches will respond to what he said, they will enter into a kingdom type manifestation of God. But it's not until after the churches respond to what God said can they move into the kingdom of God, to the throne room of God, all right? Praise the Lord. This is awesome stuff. So he says in verse, chapter 4, verse 1, After this I looked, and behold, a door was open in heaven. So the invitation to the throne, to the overcomer, is given, and then the door is open in heaven, all right? And the first voice which I heard was, uh, was as it were, a trumpet, a trumpet. Now, is that pre-tribulational? I don't see nothing in that verse that says anything about pre-tribulational sounding of a trumpet. I just see a trumpet sounding. What trumpet is that? We're going to find out. Okay? Because it's linked to the kingdom. That trumpet is linked to the setting up of the kingdom. When you have a sounding of a trumpet here, it announces God setting up his kingdom. It is not announcing a pre-tribulation rapture. Although that's where it happened. When that trumpet sounded, that's when the church went up. But it didn't go up prior to the seven-year tribulation period. This is kingdom-type timing. And it's post-tribulational that this trumpet is sounded announcing the setting up of God's kingdom. So in case you don't know it, uh, as I preach through the book of Revelation, you, I am preaching a post-tribulation rapture. And it's the truth. It is the truth. It is the truth. Once you get rid of all that stuff that has been, you know, and I've studied it. for, And that's where I got a lot of it, pre-trib, just studying pre-trib. And I've been taught that. And even this chart's laid out as a pre-trib rapture here. So, you got to get rid of all that stuff and all, you know, all those things that, you know, whatever, that confuse you. And just get right into the Word of God and let God show it to you. Amen? So, we have the sounding of a trumpet. We have the church being caught up here into a kingdom 
type manifestation of God. He says, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. After this time, the, the church age type operation of God. And immediately I was in the spirit and behold, a throne was set in heaven. And one sat on the throne. There is no such thing as a trinity. There's only one sitting on the throne. His name is Jesus. He is God. And he's sitting on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper. That's like a diamond. And a sardine stone. That's a red colored stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne. And a sight like unto emerald. A green rainbow around the throne. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats. Say four and twenty seats. Now they're round about the throne. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment. And they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunders and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire be burning before the throne which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal, and in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. Amen. You got that so far? And the first beast was like a lion, the second beast like a calf, the third beast had the face as a man, the fourth beast as, was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and there were full of eyes within. They rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. Verse 8 says, He's Lord God Almighty, which was, in, is, and is to come. There is a threefold fulfillment to prophecy. He which was, which is, and which to come. Right? Much of the book of Revelation was fulfilled at the cross. It's now being fulfilled spiritually in a people called redemption. Because the book of Revelation can be preached from a point of redemption. And then, okay, he which was, which is, and which is to come. That's the ultimate fulfillment, all right? Do you understand that? So there's more than one way to preach the book of Revelation. Redemptively or ultimately. Okay, so that's, and we're going to focus on ultimate today. Now, let's talk about this passage here. In Revelation 3, we see God, Jesus, give an invitation to people in the throne into the kingdom. We see an invitation to a supper. When is that going to happen? All you got to do is look in the Bible. Revelation 19. Go to Revelation 19. That's all you have to do is just go look in the Bible. When is this great supper going to take place that Jesus is inviting the church to? In a spiritual sense, now you can enter into the kingdom. 
But in an ultimate sense, in an ultimate fulfillment of prophecy, this supper that he's inviting the church to in relationship to his kingdom happens in Revelation 19, which is definitely post-tribulational. Hello, somebody. Are y'all okay out there? All right. Let me get this for you here. Revelation 19. Now this, of course, Revelation 18 is after the fall of Babylon, after Babylon is burning. Okay, catch that. It's important. Revelation 18, Babylon is destroyed. It's, it's uh, set on fire by God. All right. Then you move into Revelation 19, verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come. Or literally the marriage supper. If you've got a, a good Bible in the center, it will show you the marriage supper. All right. You with me here? Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come. His wife has made herself ready. And her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen and clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. Verse 9. He saith unto me, right, blessed are they which are called... To what? Same thing Revelation 4 said. They are called to a supper. They are called to the throne. And so here it says, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. Right there is where Revelation 4 is taking place. And that's post-tribulational. It's after the destruction of Babylon. It's the burning of fire of Babylon. That, that supper takes place. And it's related to the kingdom. Because when you get to Revelation 20, that's when he sets up the earthly kingdom. So all we got to do is look at the Bible and let the Bible interpret itself. Instead of trying to take preconceived concepts and teachings and sticking them in the place of Scripture that they don't belong. And that's what I'm seeking to do. Just let God unfold his word to me. Instead of going with, going with a preconceived idea. Okay. That's either been taught to me or I've studied. As far as pre-tribulational. Hallelujah. The timing is what is off. Not everything we've ever preached is wrong. But the timing of the event. We place the timing of events in scripture. And that timing's not there. Okay, so the supper is Revelation 19. You got that? Now, what in the world is this about? What is this supper about? What's going on in these passages here? That only the overcomer is going to get an experience. I believe that Revelation 2 and 3, that these, these messages here are written to churches who will be in the tribulation period. And I've proved it to you, I believe. I've proved it to you, I believe, when we went through Revelation 2 and 3. I showed you these churches in the tribulation period. And so at the end of the tribulation period, which would be at the end of the church age, that's when he calls us into a kingdom or the day of the Lord. It's so easy. Why have we missed it? Because we put on our creedal glasses. You know, we like to point fingers at the Trinitarian and say, man, they got the creeds and all that stuff. And they've misinterpreted the word of God because they put their creedal glasses on and read into the Bible of Trinity and it's not there. But what about us? We put our own creeds on and our own wishes 
and our own desires because we don't want to be in that time called the tribulation period. And because we don't want to be there and because it's uncomfortable for us to think that we would be there, then we've got to find some way to see the church escaping that time. And so we call the seven-year tribulation period the wrath of God. And it's never called the wrath of God, the worldwide wrath of God. It is the wrath of God. But it's not all over the world. The wrath of God is connected to the day of the Lord. And we like to say this seven-year tribulation period is the day of the Lord. The Bible doesn't say the seven-year tribulation period is the day of the Lord. We read into the scripture those things. Why? Because we don't want no pain. We want to be comfortable. We want to do whatever we want to do. We want to live however we want to live and think that we're going to be in the kingdom of God. We are sadly mistaken. It is only to the overcomer that this supper is given. It's only to the overcomer that makes it through this seven-year tribulation period that's going to be in the kingdom of God. And all these churches had kingdom of God promises to them. If they overcame. Okay. So now for all of you who look out there. And you, I look at you and you're confused. You can possibly be. And the reason you are is because you're not taught. You don't know. Okay. So that, and that's not your fault. So let me share something with you. Okay. You got a seven year tribulation period right here. Following that you have the day of the Lord. When God comes back. And he judges the world. Day of the Lord right here. You see that? Right here at the end of the tribulation period. Revelation 19 is when you have the marriage supper of the Lamb and the calling of the church into the kingdom. Right here. That's when we're raptured. Right here. At the parousia of God. The coming of the Lord. Parousia means coming. Alright. That's where we're raptured. This chart has us raptured pre-trib. This is the trip. This is the rapture. This is the church age. I see the church age starting all the way right here. Going all the way through the tribulation period. And then us being caught up into the kingdom of God right here into the supper of the Lamb at the end of the tribulation period. Revelation 19. That's where I see it. So when I see Revelation chapter 4, I see Revelation chapter 4 right here. Okay? Praise the Lord. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. So you're thinking, well, Pastor, how can you be excited if you've got the, you know, the possibility of going into the seven-year tribulation period? Because, man, you walk with God. You walk with God. We're not looking for an easier way. We're not looking for easy street, man. That's why he talks to people who have to be overcomers, man. You've got you to overcome stuff. You don't get it your way how you want it all the time in the kingdom of God. It's God's way. And you have to overcome all the stuff. Whether it be antichrist, false prophet, mark of the beast, false religious systems, false government. Doesn't matter. You've got to overcome all that stuff. And I'm telling you today, there's a lot of people that's not going to be ready for it. And they're going to take the mark of the beast right flat smack dab in the middle of their forehead and in their right hand. And they're church people. Because they profess something they don't have. And when it's really shaken, when it's really tested, there's going to be people say, my Lord delays his coming. And they'll go out and be the hypocrite. I'm telling you, they're just not going to be ready for it. Because they want it their way. Especially in America. America, Amer the American church is the weakest, spineless 
Any little thing of discomfort causes them to completely walk away from God. So I know what I've been called to do. And I've been called to preach the word of God. And I pray that there's a lot of you out there that's going to hear this, receive this, and live this. And get ready. Spiritually get ready for what's to come. Because there is great shaking that's coming. But at the same time, when you have the great shaking, you have the awesome promises of God for people who overcome to enter into that kingdom. And there's nothing like that. So you're looking at an excited man. If I were to find out that tomorrow the tribulation began, I'd be shouting tonight. Some of y'all be in the altars. Oh, God, I can't believe we're going to go in the tribulation. Oh, Lord, what are we going to do? I'd be shouting. I know you think I'm crazy, but I... I Because it's, it's all about God, man. Okay? So let's talk about this supper, and let's talk about this trumpet, and let's talk about this kingdom, and let's talk about these beasts. Because that's what the supper is all about, okay? Now, before I do that, I want to read something to you out of a Jewish commentary on the feast of God. Y'all are familiar with the feast of God, right? Okay. When you look at the book of Revelation, the feast of God are laid out. Revelation chapter 1, that's Passover. Okay. Revelation 2 and 3, that's Pentecost because that's where the church is in the set in over here, the candlesticks. All right. Let me show you. So I got to try to teach and preach at the same time because I don't want to lose you. But right here, Jesus is standing in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. That's the church in Revelation 2 and 3. That is in the second dimension of the tabernacle. So that's the church age. All right. So Revelation 2 and 3 is Pentecost in an ultimate sense. Pente- what you need to understand about feast is that there's partial fulfillments to feast and then the ultimate fulfillment of feast. Okay? All right. So we have Pentecost, Revelation 2 and 3, the power of Pentecost, the power of the Spirit. In Revelation 1, we have Passover. And then Revelation 4, we have tabernacles. We have God inviting us into the tabernacle or the kingdom of God. Right? Then you get to Revelation 5. It starts all over again. Revelation 5, you have Passover. Revelation 6, you have Pentecost. And Revelation 7, you have tabernacles all over again. Okay? So God lays out a pattern. All right. Now I'm going to read something to you here. This is related to the Feast of the Lord. Okay? This is uh, the Jewish festivals, Baha'im Shwas. And uh, page 91 and 92, this is what he says. Okay, and I'm going to show you how this is linked to prophecy. This passage of scripture. Then I'm going to go into the word of the Lord. And I hope I don't lose too many of you, all right? Okay, I'm reading from page 91 of this book, Jewish Theology. It says this. Listen, this is powerful. This is the way that you saw the feast of the Lord. Okay? He said, they say this. They see the golden thrones. Remember that. Golden thrones, Revelation 4. They see the golden thrones approached by seven stairs. Seated on the thrones are the saints gleaming and shining like the stars of heaven. That's exactly what it says in Revelation 4. Above them are spread canopies of light. And below ripple streams of fragrant balsam. There is no end to the joy and happiness of the saints. They dance in paradise, arm in arm with God himself. 
He entertains them with a mammoth spectacle arranged especially for them. The combat between Leviathan and Behemoth. So enthusiastic does the teacher become at this point that his imagination expands and grows and he paints a picture of two fantastic creatures that is so clear one would think he had seen them himself. The Leviathan, he says, encircles the sea that surrounds the world. He lies cold up with his tail in his mouth. Should he for one moment release his tail, then the doom of the world would come. Just as great and fearful is the behemoth. He eats in one day the pastures on thousand hills. And when he is thirsty, all the water that flows from the Jordan in the sea makes just one gulp for him. The teacher tells of the feast which God will prepare after the coming of the Messiah. And that's the feast that he's inviting the church to. It's the feast of Leviathan. And it's after the coming of Messiah. And his imagination makes it more vivid and colorful. Even than its description. He pictures the saints seated around a table. Revelation 3 and 4. Made of precious stones. Eating the flesh of Leviathan. So what is the supper he's invited us to? The feast of Leviathan. And we're seen pictured here. Eating the flesh of Leviathan. And I'll explain to you who Leviathan is in a moment. And the behemoth. Eating both of them. The flesh of Leviathan and the flesh of behemoth. These two great creatures. And so as I was meditating on this, the Lord said, that supper is the feast of Leviathan. Okay? That's why I'm bringing it to you right here. He said, but the feasting does not interest the listing children. Their thoughts recur to the combat between the two monsters. They see the monster of the deep. Giving mighty blows with his powerful fins. While the behemoth again and again gores his rival with his gigantic horns. So Leviathan is this seven-headed serpent whose place of living, dwelling is in the sea. Behemoth is the creature that comes up from the land. And they are seen fighting together. And there's a feast that's going to take place. Where the saints of God are going to participate. And they're all seated together at a table with the Lord. It's a supper. It's his supper. So for the, for the saints, it's the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's the time of deliverance. It's the time of victory. But for the people of the world, it announces the judgment. It announces the destruction of Leviathan, the world government. And it announces the destruction of Behemoth, world religion. Now, are y'all with me up to this point? And so that is in the Jewish Feast. They understand these things. And when you come to the book of Revelation, you have to understand the tabernacle of God, the temple of God, the feast of the Lord. You have to understand these things to understand the book of Revelation. You have to understand when he talks about a supper, he talks about a throne, he talks about a kingdom, he talk, talks about inviting people into that type of situation. You have to go back to the Old Testament to interpret these things. And you also have to look at the timing of these things in relationship to the Bible, not with your own thinking. Okay. So let's look for these two creatures called Leviathan and Behemoth. All right? You with me here? Now, let's go over to the book of Revelation chapter 13. 
So God in Revelation 3 is inviting the overcoming church to a great feast or a great supper. Revelation 19 places it post-tribulational. At the end of the tribulation period, it is called there the marriage supper of the Lamb. All right? It is a feast on Leviathan and a behemoth. Okay. Who are these creatures and what do they symbolize? If I today talk about Leviathan and behemoth, unless I explain to you what they symbolize in the Word of God, you're not going to know what I'm talking about. So let's go to the Word of God. I'm going to see two beasts in the book of Revelation. Revelation 13 verse 1. The Bible says this, I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea. See that beast rising up out of the sea and it says having seven heads and ten horns and upon his horns ten crowns and upon his head the names of blasphemy. All right, so John gets a, a revelation and he sees this beast coming up out of the sea. It's got seven heads. It's a dragon. It's a serpent, a seven-headed serpent called Leviathan. I'll, I'll prove it to you by the word. Then in verse 11, he talks about a second beast. And the second beast is behemoth. Revelation 13, 11, he says, And I beheld another beast, but this one's coming up out of the earth. Not out of the sea, but out of the earth. All right? Okay, I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb. He spake as a dragon. He exercised all the power of the first beast before him, and causeth the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. Looks like they're pretty friendly there. Looks like one beast is, is causing everybody to worship the other beast. Okay, you with me here? All right, <clears throat> this Revelation 13 passage shows us a future world government, a seven-headed beast right there, all right? This serpent, seven-headed serpent gives, this is Satan, ultimately it's Satan, but it's seen in the seven-headed world government of Antichrist. This other beast that comes up out of the earth is the false prophet he's over the religious systems of the world so we've got Leviathan which represents the the Antichrist are you with me here first Satan the seven-headed serpent Satan then him operating through the Antichrist and world government and then you have behemoth rising up from the earth which is the false prophet he's in charge of the false religious system so Leviathan is the world government and the Antichrist system. Behemoth is the second beast that represents the church system. Now for a while they're going to be friendly together. But at the end of the tribulation period, they're going to begin to fight each other. So in Revelation 17, this first beast, Leviathan devours the second beast, the religious system. She's depicted as a woman in that chapter. So they fight each other and destroy her. You got it? So here's the two beasts that we're talking about. Now, what about the terms Leviathan and uh, Behemoth? Is that in the Bible? Yeah. Okay. Are you with me at this point? So God has invited the church to a feast to the overcomers. This feast is connected to Leviathan and Behemoth. These two beasts. All right? Amen. Are you here now? It happens post-tribulational at the end of the tribulation period in Revelation 19. 
And the two bits that BC's talking about is in Revelation 13 verse 1 and Revelation 13 verse 11. Now go to the book of Job. In the book of Job, Job chapter 40 and 41, in the book of Job, get your Bibles out. Uh, you don't go to war without your sword. You got to have your sword with you, man. You, you, you come to church without a Bible, you're in sin. Ooh, that freaks some of you out. Yeah, you're dealing with a radical dude up here, man. I, do you go to the table? And eat without a plate and fork, knife, spoon? Or do you just slop it all on the top of the table? And all right, Job, watch this. We're going to talk about these two beasts and this supper in the Word of God. Job, then Psalms. How many of y'all are with me up to this point? Okay, good. I just want to make sure you know. All right, Job. If I can find Job, I think it's in the Bible. Yeah. Okay. In Job chapter 40, <clears throat> you can read about this beast called Behemoth in verse 15. So we're not making this stuff up. It's in the Bible. <laughs> You know, and it's not just Jewish scholarship. They got it from the Bible. Okay, verse 15. Behold, now behemoth, which I made with thee, he eateth grass as an ox. Lo, now his strength is in his loins, and his force is in the navel of his belly. Now, I wish I could teach and preach the symbolism here. I don't have time, but... It's, a, it's a, a beast that depicts a false church system and a false prophet, okay? It's the second beast of Revelation 13, all right? His, he, he moveth his tail like a cedar. The sinews of his stones are wrapped together. His bones are as strong pieces of brass. His bones are like bars of iron. He is the chief of the ways of God. He that made him can make his sword to approach unto him. Surely the mountains bring him forth food while where all the beasts of the field play. He lieth under the shady trees in the covert of the reed and fins. The shady trees cover him with their shadow. The willows of the brook compass him about. Behold, he drinketh up a river and hasteth not. He trusteth that he can draw up Jordan into his mouth. He taketh it with his eyes. His nose pierces through snares okay so we see again in this scholarship behemoth is seen fighting leviathan so behemoth is located in the book of job it is the second beast of revelation 13 all right and of course that beast of revelation 13 is a man it's a false prophet over a religious system so behemoth represents a false prophet over a religious system now go to uh, job 41 now, he then talks about this, the other beast, Leviathan. Okay? Some people, uh, if you've got Jewish background in you, call it Le uh, Leviathan. But he's Leviathan. He says, Canst thou draw out Leviathan with a hook, or his tongue with a cord, which thou lettest down? Canst thou put a hook into his nose, or bore his jaws through with a thorn? 
Will he make many supplications unto thee? Will he speak soft words unto thee? Will he make a covenant with thee? There's that covenant with Antichrist right there. We make a covenant with thee. Wilt thou take him for a servant forever? Wilt thou play with him as with a bird? Or wilt thou bind him for thy maidens? God, Jesus, is going to bind Leviathan. And the Lord spoke to me when I read that. He said, there's my church. I'm going to bind Leviathan for my maidens, for my church. Shall the companions make a banquet of him? So he's going to, he said, I'm going to bind it for my maidens. And he talks about his companions making a banquet of him, a supper, a feast of him. Lord, are you reading along here? Shall the companion make a banquet of him? We know the answer is yes. The marriage supper of the Lamb. Shall they part him among the merchants? And the answer is yes. Now, who is this Leviathan? Well, go to verse 34. It explains to you who he is. Job 41, 34. He beholdeth all high things. He is the king over all the children of pride. So he's not just a physical, literal serpent, seven-headed dragon in the water. Nor does behemoth represent just a literal creature. These are spiritual symbols that the prophets used. And a supper that John's talking about in the book of Revelation. A banquet that's going to take place there. And so he says, Leviathan is the king over the children of pride. Hello, church. And this morning, I'm not preaching to the world. I'm preaching to us. There are a lot of people who are in the realm and dominion of the Antichrist and his government. And they're sitting in the church pews. Because they're full of pride. They're full of ego. You can't manage them. And that's what Antichrist is going to be about. And his world government is going to be all about. Is pride against God. Now, let me explain something to you, okay? Absalom is also a type of Antichrist. And he's a picture of a king of pride. Absalom literally pushed David off the throne. You with me here? He pushed David off the throne. He had long hair. Absalom had long hair, which was a symbol of his pride. The Bible says that the people in his day swore by the hair of Absalom. Which simply means this. He had his own covering. It's people who walk in pride and depend on their own covering. That are connected to Leviathan. That have the pride of Absalom who's a type of the Antichrist. You're not going to hear this in many pulpits, I guarantee you. Because they've got people who are depending on their own covering. And they're walking in pride. And so they are connected to the king who is over the children of pride. 
Lord, help me. I don't want to be that. That's why he says you've got to overcome in order to be a part of this thing. Praise God. I don't want to trust, trust in my own covering. I want to trust in the covering of the Lord God Almighty. The opposite of pride is humility. And walking in humility is learning to surrender yourself to the will of God. And stop doing your own thing. And so absence is a perfect type of those who trust in their own coverings and pride. And so this Leviathan is king over the children of pride. All right, y'all with me here? So in Job 40 and 41, we have those two beasts of Revelation 13. And we see also in Job that there's going to be a banquet in which the maidens of God are going to participate in eating his flesh. That is the supper that God is inviting the overcomer to. Now, when you find yourself in the tribulation period, if, it's this, if we're in that time, you find yourself there, and either you or your loved ones are being persecuted by Leviathan, the Antichrist, okay, and behemoth, the world religious system. I guarantee you, this will mean something to you then. To know that someday the church that overcame us, that overcame him, that overcame the Antichrist, overcame his mark, overcame that world church system. To that people, this is going to mean something. That when you make it through that tribulation period, you're going to feast on that system. God's going to give you the kingdom. And if you look at Daniel 7, the Bible says in Revelation 3 and 4, we see one sitting on the throne. If you look at Daniel 7, when the Father is seated on the throne, it's just before he destroys the Antichrist. And in that same Daniel 7, that's where he promises the kingdom to his church. Same time, same event. And in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 1 Thessalonians 4, we have the parousia of Jesus. And he catches the church out at his parousia, his coming. And in 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 8, the Bible says at his parousia, he destroys the Antichrist. So the event and the time is, is the same. When he catches you out, it's parousia time. When he destroys Antichrist, it's parousia time. It's the same event. So it's connected here to the church. God says, when I destroy the Antichrist, I'm going to take you up into the heavenlies. I'm going to let you sit upon thrones. And I'm going to let you feast in my supper upon the flesh of Leviathan. Hello, somebody. Give God some praise. So Job 40 and 41 lays it out for you. Now go to Isaiah 27. Isaiah 27. Whew, this is exciting. Now before we do that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back up into Isaiah 26. And I'm going to show you the timing of events in this prophet. Whew, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Now watch this. We have in Isaiah 26, we have recorded of a people being resurrected from the dead. 
Yes, are you here? We have in Isaiah 26, people resurrected from the dead and being called into the wedding chamber of God. Hear it. Called into the wedding chamber of God. I'll say this, the most holy place. Because that's the wedding chamber of God. They are called, resurrected and called up into the wedding chamber of God or the hoopah. Now listen very carefully because that's connected to Joshua when we get there. Watch what happens here. It says this in verse, chapter 26, he says, verse 19. Thy dead men shall live together with my dead body. Shall they arise? That's the resurrection. Awake and sing, ye that dwell in the dust, for thy dew is as the dew of the herbs. And when you speak of dew, you're talking about resurrection ground. And the earth shall cast out the dead. Now watch this. At the time of the resurrection, and the earth casting out the dead, he says in verse 20, Come, my people! It's connected to Revelation 4, verse 1, and it's connected to Revelation 19, when he tells us to come to the feast. He says, come, my people, enter thou into thy chambers, or, thy, or, or literally thy hoopah, your wedding canopy, and shut thy doors about thee. Hide thyself, as it were, for a little moment, until the indignation be over past that's the time of the day of the lord we like to read into that that we're going to escape the seven-year tribulation period what he's telling us is it's going to be a resurrection of the dead the church is going to be caught up into her wedding chamber and then god's indignation or the day of the lord is going to take place but it's not in the tribulation period he's talking about here he's talking about at the end of the tribulation period watch he said, until the indignation be overpassed. For behold, the Lord cometh out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. There's that rebellion. He's coming out to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their rebellion, iniquity. To punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth also dis shall disclose her blood and shall no more cover her slain. That is at the end of the tribulation period that that happens. I'm going to prove it to you. Okay. In fact, I already have. In the first five lessons of Revelation. Now, watch what happens. After the resurrection of the dead. And us being caught up into the wedding chamber of God. To escape that ultimate time of his wrath. All over the world. Are you with me here? Indignation or the day of the Lord. Then it says, in that day the Lord with his sword and great strong sword. Shall punish Leviathan. <laughs> It's connected together. The slaying of Antichrist and the rapture of the church is always connected together. They are not separated by seven years. They are always connected together. Always. It is us who have put a seven-year gap in between the two events. It's not in the Bible, my friend. We'll give God some praise. The event is connected in every Old Testament prophet and every New Testament prophet. It's connected. So I'm, you're looking at an excited man. And I don't have time. We could back up. We could show you the man shall come forth in maturity in that same Isaiah 26 passage. But that's Revelation 12. We'll teach that. Okay. All right. Thank you, sister. All right. So he says here, he says, I'm going to punish Leviathan. The piercing serpent, that first piece of Revelation 13. 
even Leviathan, that crooked serpent. He shall slay the dragon that is in the sea. That's the beast coming up out of the sea right there. In that day, sing you unto her a vineyard of red wine. Yeah, there's, there, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, 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 that, that's a preaching right there of the, of the blood of Jesus right there. <laughs> I, the Lord, do keep it. I will water it every moment. Lest any hurt it, I will keep it in night and day. Fury is not in me. Who would set the briars and thorns against me in battle? I would go through them. I would burn them together. Or let him take hold of my strength. That he may make peace with me. And he shall make peace with me. You can choose to be saved. You can choose to be born again. You can choose to be right with God. Or you can choose to be judged according to the prophet. Now, now watch this. Watch this. When Jesus comes back at the end of the tribulation period at his parousia, his coming, he's going to catch us up out of this earth. He's going to destroy the Antichrist when he does. It's pictured right here. He's destroying Leviathan and the church having been caught up into the wedding chamber. Are you with me up to this point? When Jesus comes back, he is coming back on his throne. That's why Revelation 4, we see him on the throne. We see him coming back there and the church meeting him in the air. You understand? When he comes back, he's coming back on a chariot. He's coming back on a throne chariot. And when he comes like that, I don't have time to get into all the details here today, but read it for yourself. Deuteronomy chapter 5 all the way through is God giving his covenant requirements to his people. And it's connected with his sanctuary and his throne. All right, in, in Deuteronomy 7, he says in that covenant, he promises his people that they will destroy seven nations as they enter into the promised land. Seven nations will fall as God gives them the victory. Say with me, seven nations. Okay, one of them, the first one is Jericho. Now, when you keep reading in Deuteronomy, then you'll come to Deuteronomy chapter 12 and chapter 13. What we see in those passages is that God is going to judge, judge even the apostates. He's, going, he's given his commands, his covenant to his people. He said, I will give you ability to destroy seven nations. So he promises the destruction of the wicked there. But in, Revelation, in, in Deuteronomy 13, he promises destruction to the apostates who have connected themselves to a false prophet. Are you here? Apostates that have connected themselves to a false prophet. 1 Thessalonians 1, okay, 4 and 5. 2 Thessalonians 1 and 2, we have the very same thing connected we see God warning the apostates. He talks about a great falling away that's going to take place. I'm going to tell you when that is. That's in the tribulation period. There's going to be a great falling away. And so Deuteronomy lays it out. He said there's going to be apostates. There's going to be destruction of seven nations. There's going to be apostates. Deuteronomy 13. Now, in Deuteronomy 20, he says, if you read verse 10, he talks about offer them peace first. The inhabitants in the nations, in the land, offer them peace first. But if they don't accept the peace, then uh, vanquish them. 
destroy them. And then at the end of, end of Deuteronomy, we have the people of God rejoicing. So that covenant is laid out. You with me here? And it's connected with his chariot throne. First Chronicles 28 verse 18. And I'm going to come back to this. I promise you. First Chronicles 28. 18. It says. First Chronicles 28. 18. He says. And for the altar of incense. Refined gold by weight. And gold for the pattern of the chariot of the cherubims. That spread out their wings and covered the ark of the covenant of the Lord. So the ark of God is his throne. But it's called a chariot here. Which means God's throne has wheels, if you will. He's, it shows him moving in judgment. It shows him coming forth from the sanctuary to judge the inhabitants of the earth. Those who have rebelled against his covenant. But he's offering peace in Isaiah 27 to anybody who would forsake that rebellion. And come into the kingdom of God Almighty. And experience the red wine of the finished work. He's offering you the placement of the bride. He's offering you the wedding chamber, the hoopah, when his indignation and wrath is poured out on all the earth at the end of the tribulation period. That's what he's promising. He's offering you peace. But to those who are walking in rebellion and iniquity and pride, they will be a part of the sons of Satan or Antichrist. So that's why he says to the overcomer, if you overcome, I'll let you... <laughs> come he said into the most holy place into the kingdom he said if you'll open a door I'll come into you and sup with you and you with me we're going to have a supper together and then he shows us in Revelation 4 he sees the people of God sitting in thrones in the wedding chamber now are y'all with me do you understand up to this point okay let's now go to okay Isaiah, we got Isaiah 26 and 27. We see that, didn't we? Okay, Daniel 7, the same thing. The saints of God, they're seen there with God in his kingdom, all right? To the overcomers, and just before he destroys the Antichrist, that's when he's seen seated. Okay, praise the Lord. Now, let's go over to uh, another passage. In uh, Isaiah 30... Same prophet. We'll just stay in the same prophet so you don't get confused. In Isaiah 30. Is everybody okay out there? <clears throat> Isaiah 30 verse 6. Just flip over a few chapters. Okay. Isaiah 30 verse 6. The burden of the beasts of the south. Into the land of trouble, anguish, anguish, from whence come the young and old lion, the viper, and fiery flying serpent. There it is, Leviathan. They will carry their riches upon the shoulders of young asses, and their treasures upon the bunches of camels to a people that shall not profit them. For the Egyptians shall help in vain and to no purpose. Therefore have I cried concerning this. Therefore have I cried concerning this this literally that can be translated I have cried concerning Rahab Rahab say Rahab Rahab is another name for Leviathan okay therefore have I cried concerning this 
Their strength is to sit still. She is literally a broad. Okay, watch this. Leviathan is called, and I'm going to prove it to you by the word of God. She is called, Leviathan is called Rahab. Rahab literally means broad. Broad. Rahab was the harlot of Jericho. The first city that was destroyed by God's covenant people of the seven nations he promised that would be destroyed. Rahab is brought out of that city. Rahab is the harlot of Jericho and her name literally means broad. She was an Amorite. She was an idolater. Okay. She as a prostitute would sit in the wall. Okay. Sit in the wall and wait there to seduce people. And so they became known as broads. Broads. So if anybody ever comes up and you say, you, you broad, you just, just go ahead and lay them down. <laughs> they call you a broad, they're calling you a, whor- a whorlet. A whorlet, yeah. Okay? Because what they would do is they would sit in the walls of the city and prostitute themselves. And Leviathan is a picture, is the Antichrist in world government, yes. But we see that connected to him is, where's my, my, my dilly there. We see connected to Leviathan, we see this seven-headed beast. But we see upon his back a woman who's called the mother of harlots. So there's a connection here. Okay, now I'm going to prove to you that Leviathan is called Rahab. She is the one who sits idle in the walls. She's a broad. That's what Rahab means. She's a prostitute. Come on, don't get mad at me when I get up here and say, come on, let's move. Because the opposite of that, the opposite of moving with God is to enter into a place of pride. It is to enter into a place of setting still in the wall and prostituting yourself. And God indicts this woman, Rahab, and says she sets still. She's inactive. She won't move. And she's prostituted herself. This is heavy stuff, man. Now, some of you might look at me, and I'm not, I'm not talking about myself today, but some of you look at me like I'm crazy, man. When I say, come on, let's move in the Holy Ghost. Let's move with God. Because if we ever begin to become pew setters, what has happened is we've been overcome by our flesh, and we've refused to move, and we're setting in a wall because we've prostituted ourselves, and we're full of pride, and we're full of self, and we're full of ego, and God's called us to repent. I don't care if you're a preacher in the puppet or a saint in the pew. If you're sitting down, God's calling you to repent. And that's the way these prophets preached. So he says, now I'm going to go back over there and read it. Hallelujah. Watch. For the Egyptians shall help in vain and no, to no purpose. Therefore have I cried concerning this, or Rahab. 
their strength is to sit still. So that Rahab was an individual in the day of Jericho. Thank you, sister. An individual in the days of Jericho, the first city to fall. Rahab became known or symbolized all apostate world systems that would rise up against God. All right? Also, Egypt was called Rahab. And Egypt is a type of the European one world government system under Antichrist. That Israel ran to in these days for help. Just like in the future when the Jews run to Antichrist for help. And when they run to Antichrist for help, he's going to be a bruised reed that's going to break in their hands. And it's going to hurt bad because they put their confidence in the wrong Messiah. They put their confidence in Leviathan, a false Messiah of whom Egypt was just a type. But Jesus is a bruised reed that will not break. Jesus will not let you down. He's the true Messiah of God. A bruised reed will he not break. And a smoking flax will he not quench. He's talking about Messiah won't break. He's talking about his light can't be put out. Put him in a grave, but he's going to come back up out of the grave. But concerning Isaiah, Isaiah 36, concerning Egypt, he says Egypt is a broken reed. It punches your, it'll, it'll run right through your hand, and it hurts. So it depends on what you put your confidence in. You're either leaning on a false system of Leviathan world government and walking in pride and are like Rahab, or you have put your confidence in the true Messiah, and you can't break him. There's a lot of people who want to break him. There's a lot of people that want to make him bow down to them. But I got news for you. You can't break this Messiah. You can depend on him. You can trust in this Jesus. I'm telling you. I don't care what you're going through. Live for him. You can't put him out. You can crucify him. But he's coming out of the grave. So don't be a part of that system, man. God talks to a church that's going to overcome. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. He's talking to a people that's going to listen to what God's saying. And walk with God in humility and obedience to his awesome word. And be a part of that covenant. And then be caught up in an awesome feast called the Feast of Leviathan and Behemoth. That's where I want to be. I don't plan on sitting down. I don't plan on getting lukewarm. I don't plan on being Laodicea. I don't plan on any of that. I plan on overcoming and being the church of the living God. I'm not going to prostitute myself. I'm not going to be a part of that harlot sitting on the back of that beast. But I got good news for you. Rahab of old is a picture of people going to come out of that harlot system. And they're going to apply the blood of Jesus to the cord there. The cord's going to hang out of her window there. And she's going to be saved and delivered and bring her out of that wall before that city comes down. Yes, hallelujah. Go to, go to Isaiah 51 verse 9. Isaiah 51, 9. Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in the ancient days, in the generations of old, art thou not it that hath cut Rahab and wounded the dragon? So here the dragon is called Rahab. 
Give God some praise in this house. God's given you all these pictures to connect you to end time events so you'll not be deceived as to what's going to take place. I got news for you today. We don't have to guess what God is about to do. If you're a part of the church of the living God, you don't have to guess about what God's about to do. You know what God is about to do because he's laid it out in his word and you know how you can participate in that. And this is for everybody. And I know this is deep and I know this is heavy and I know this is prophetic. But I got good news for you. you if you're a Rahab, you can come out of that city Jericho and be sanctified unto God. I got good news. You can be a part of the marriage supper of the Lamb. I got good news. If you might have been a whore in the past, you don't have to stay a whore in the future. God can save you, deliver you, and make you a part of his awesome bride. But it's by the blood. And that's, so that's why he connects an individual called Rahab who was a harlot in Jericho. To, and she got converted. But there's a tr another Rahab, a second Rahab that won't be converted. And it's the Leviathan. It's the seven-headed serpent in the sea. It's Antichrist. It's world government. And it's the king over the children of pride. Ooh, give God some praise in this house. I feel the power of the Holy Ghost. Watch, I, I want you to see this. <laughs> Sit down for a moment. Going back to Isaiah 30 where it talks about that woman who sits in the wall, that Rahab that sits in the wall. He says, he says the Egyptians are no help, in, they help in vain. Their strength is to sit still. Now go write it before them in a table and note it in a book that it may be for a time to come forever and ever. That this is a rebellious people. Lying children, children that will not hear the law of the Lord. So again, she's connected to the children of pride. Ooh, this is powerful, my friend. I feel the God's talking to you tonight because this morning He loves you. He don't want you to be caught up in that system. And in chapter 29, if you were to, uh, to read it, uh, let me see if I can find it. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Verse 19, he says, The meek also shall increase their joy in the Lord, and the poor among men shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. But he connects those who walk in meekness and humility to those who walk in pride. And who place themselves in a position of a broad, of a Rahab, of a harlot. Setting in their walls, doing their own thing, rebelling against the laws of God Almighty. How, what an awesome promise this is for us. To the overcomer. Let's, let's look at, I don't know where I told you to go, but let me, let me go here to Isaiah 51. Um, Isaiah 51. So you remember Isaiah 26, the promise to the bride. Isaiah 27, the destruction of Leviathan. You see, and now she's called Rahab. Leviathan's called Rahab. 51.9, he says, Awake, awake, put on strength. I read it, didn't I? O arm of the Lord, awaken in ancient days and generations. Art thou not it that hath cut Rahab and wounded the dragon? So now we know. Now go to Psalm 74. Psalm 74. And I'm coming to a close. Hallelujah. Psalm 74. God's so good. 
See, that's the supper he's inviting you to in Revelation 4. It's post-tribulational. Revelation 19 is. It's a time when the church is moving from that to kingdom. No wonder he says you got to learn to overcome. Yes, yes. Psalm 74. Verse 12, for God is my king. For God is my king. There's the throne again. There's the throne again. For God is my king of old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. Thou didst divide the sea by thy strength. Thou breakest the heads of the dragons in the waters. Thou breakest the heads of Leviathan in pieces and gavest him to be meat to the people inhabiting the wilderness. How yeah. give God praise, church? He's going to give the church a meal in the wilderness. He's going to feed them. They're going to feast all about. That's the supper of great God Almighty. Yes, Lord. He's an awesome God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's a good God, isn't he? How many of you love him today? Yes, God. Thank you, Jesus. Let me find, I need to find another scripture here for you. Praise God. Okay, verse 10 of chapter Psalm 89. I think I'll start with verse 9. Thou rulest the raging of the sea. When the waves thereof arise, thou stillest them. Thou hast broken Rahab in pieces as one that is slain. Thou hast scattered thine enemies with thy strong arm. The heavens are thine. The earth also is thine. As for the world and the fullness thereof, thou hast founded them. Give God some praise. Woo! Hallelujah! 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 Now, so we have this invitation of the church, the overcomers, to, a, to the kingdom-type move of God, to a supper. And it's the supper. It's a feast of Leviathan and Behemoth. The Antichrist and his government, along with, with me here, world religious system is seen in those two beasts. In Revelation 19, let's go over there. And we'll see. In Revelation 19, along with, in, in connection to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Watch this. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I thank God for giving me liberty today and helping me bring this to you today, giving me memory of these scriptures. Revelation 19, 16. He hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun and cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourself together unto the supper of the great God. 
So the Revelation 19, we have the marriage supper of the Lamb. Then he talks about what that supper is. He calls it the great supper of God. He's calling these fowls. And he's saying who, these, who this supper is. Verse 18, that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and of them that sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on his horse and against his army. And the beast was taken with him, the false prophet, both of the beast, that wrought miracles before him with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. If you read Isaiah 41, 42, it talks about the, that true Bruce Reed, Jesus Christ. He says there's a connection here and not giving in to Im, uh, images. And that's connected to this statement right here. My point is the feast of Leviathan and Behemoth is seen in Revelation 19. And that is the supper you're invited to. Go to Revelation 17. I'll show you the two beasts fighting. Revelation 17, the two beasts fighting. <clears throat> Revelation 17. In verse 6 and 15. He saith unto me, the waters which thou sawest, where the horse sitteth. Connected again, Rahab. Where the horse sitteth, our people's multitudes, nations, and tongues. And the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast. These shall hate the whore, and shall make her desolate, naked, and shall eat her flesh. And her with thought hath... For God hath put it in their hearts to fulfill his will and to agree and give their kingdom unto the beast until the words of God shall be old. And one we saw is great city which reigneth in the earth. So there's a enemy fight against each other. It's exactly what I read to you here right in this Jewish festival book right here. Festival book right here. Connected again, Rahab. Where the war horse setteth our people's multitudes, nations, and tongues, and the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, these shall hate the whore and shall make her desolate. Naked and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God hath put it in their hearts to fulfill his will and to give their kingdom unto the beast until the words of God shall be old. And which thou see which over the king. Right there, enemy Titans. Exactly what you hear, right? Festival. That's the taking. Okay, up there. And clap this thing up. I've got it, okay? Let's go. I've thrown his attention for their trumpet. It's the last trumpet. Are you with me? And that's when the resurrection takes place, is at the last trump of God. Now, what you need to understand is that in Jewish understanding is that the ram that was caught in the thicket that was the ram of Abraham in the book of Genesis, okay? It is believed that that ram, when it was offered by Abraham to God, that the ram's horns were cut off, right? And God, symbolically, God took the left horn of that ram. He sounded it on Mount Sinai which is a, a type of Pentecost, the Holy Ghost. The left horn. The other horn is the, the right horn is called the last horn. The Jewish people understood that the right horn off of that horn of Abraham's ram is going to be the trumpet that sounds at the resurrection of the dead. That's why it's called a last trumpet. Because the first one, left horn, was sounded at Sinai. The last one, the right horn off of that ram is going to be sounded at the resurrection. And it is the last trumpet that the church has called out. Matthew 24, we already talked about it. The last trump that the Episanago are gathering together unto him at his parousia, at his coming. Is that, and that's when he destroys the Antichrist. The same event, same timing. 
and it says it's post-tribulational. But watch this. Okay, y'all with me here? This trumpet then, to me, is not, this, this trumpet is, let me tell you this, this trumpet is the last trumpet. This trumpet is the trumpet that announces the setting up of God's kingdom upon the earth. It is this trumpet that sounds and announces the destruction of Leviathan and Behemoth. And then the catching at that trumpet, the catching of the church up at the end of the tribulation period into the wedding chamber of God just before the earth burns. Revelation 18, Babylon. Now, I'm going to show you something. Go to Joshua, and I'm closing. The Lord helped me this morning to bring very complex, heavy things to you in a way that you could understand them. Symbolism. Joshua chapter 6, and I'm closing with this. You'll remember in Joshua chapter 6, that the people of God, the covenant people of God, walking up to the promised land, have nations that God has promised to them that would fall because they're his covenant people. Right? Seven nations. They would fall. The first one they come to is Jericho. Say Jericho. And there just happens to be a woman in that city called Rahab. Coincidence? Uh-uh. No coincidence. Because it also shows you the timing of everything I just preached to you. Revelation, uh, Joshua 6. Okay, here we go. Now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. Man, influence. I mean, they're really freaking out on these people. And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given into thy hand Jericho and the king thereof. And the mighty men of valor. And ye shall compass the city, all ye men of war, and go round about the city once. Thus shalt thou do six days. And seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram's horns. And the seventh day ye shall compass the city seven times, and the priests shall blow with the trumpets. And it shall come to pass that when they make a long blast... That's the last trumpet right there. The, la the last trumpet is the trumpet that sounds the longest. It sounds over a period of days in the book of Revelation. So this trumpet is a picture on the seventh day or the seventh year of the tribulation period. That is sounded and it sounded long. It's called the great trumpet. You see it? It's after the seven days. After the seven years or at the completion of it. In the seventh year. Okay, you sound that trumpet long, he says, with the ram's horn. And when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. And it's not just him that's going to shout. It's you that's going to shout. In fact, let me just tell you a little bit about some history here. In, the, in Josephus, the first century Jewish historian, said that in the Feast of Pentecost, that the priests went up to minister to God at the Feast of Pentecost. And when they did, they heard a shaking, and they heard a sounding, and then they heard people, which, and they, these people said this, let us remove hints. 
he which was, which is, which is to come. It's all laid out in a pattern, man. They heard that. It's a picture of a people who are going to go up in a shout. And we're going to shout unto him. When we go through the heavens, we're going to shout. When we go through the heavens, we're going to praise the Lord. And so we see Israel here. in that seventh day, picture of the seventh year of the tribulation period. With that long trumpet, which is the last trumpet sounded when that sounds the people are going to shout not only that watch what happens they're going to shout and the wall of the city shall fall down flat and the people shall ascend up every man straight before him that's when you ascend up is when that long trumpet sounded it's also called the great trumpet it's in the seventh year of the tribulation period that that happens man I got it all over me today thanks you had it upside down, by the way. But I understand. Okay, you got it? Let me, I got to get. All right, verse 17, go over there. And the city shall be accursed, even it and all that are therein to the Lord. To the Lord, it's the Lord's sacrifice. This feast is the Lord's sacrifice. Leviathan and Behemoth is the feast of the Lord's sacrifice. This is a picture of his sacrifice that he will take at the end of the tribulation period. Now watch this. He says, it's accursed. It's going to be uh, to the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot shall live. She and all that are with her in her house because she hid the messengers that were sent. There were two witnesses that were sent to her before its destruction. Revelation, there will be two witnesses that are sent. So that people will come out of that old fallen apostate system and come into the kingdom of God. Harlots called Rahab will be converted by the blood of Jesus. And by the way, she hung out a scarlet colored cord out of that window. And that scarlet colored cord is connected to the blood of the Passover lamb that was shed in Egypt. That's how she got delivered. And verse 18, and you and wise, keep yourselves from the cursed thing. Keep yourself from the accursed thing. Lest you make yourselves accursed. When you take of the accursed thing and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. And he goes on, he talks about this. In verse 21, and they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both men and women, young and old, ox, sheep, ass, edge of the sword. But Joshua had said unto the two men that had spied out the country, go unto the harlot's house and bring out thence a woman and all that she hath. And they swear unto her. And verse 24, and they burnt the city with fire. So in closing today, I want to tell you something that the Jewish people do. And I don't have time to read it to you, but in about page 206 of this book right here, it talks about in connection with the Feast of Tabernacles, which is the kingdom of God. It talks about that they circle the altar seven times. Just like they circled Jericho seven times on the seventh day. They circle the altar seven times in connection with tabernacles, the kingdom of God. Now watch. In a Jewish wedding ceremony, they take a glass. They wash it. They drink wine out of it. Then they circle the hoopah. They go around just like they did the walls of Jericho. Today, the bride and his... And, the bridegroom and his bride walk around the hoopah, the chamber of God. They take the glass 
after circling the hoopah and they throw it to the ground and break it. It's a picture of when the walls came down in Jericho. And they do it just before they enter into the hoopah. God said in Isaiah 26, he called his people up into their chambers. And then the destruction of Leviathan and the feast takes place at that point. Are you here today? Do you understand? And so what you see in, in this Jericho story is you see at the end of the tribulation period, the last trumpet being sounded. You see his bride being invited into the wedding chamber to participate in the feast of the Lord before God brings the walls of the nations down, before he destroys it by fire. And we see that in Revelation 18. Then we see the bride in her wedding hoopah, her chamber in Revelation 19, following the sounding of the seventh trumpet. Being preceded by two witnesses to witness to the earth. I don't know about you, friend, but it's clear to me. It's clear to me that this feast he's inviting us to is not pre-tribulational. This feast he's inviting you to is at the end of the tribulation period when he destroys Leviathan and takes Rahab, hello, to himself before he burns the city. And it's in the seventh day, the seventh trumpet, when it sounds long. And that's the great trumpet. Tekiah Haggadol, the, the great trumpet, the last trumpet. That's it. That's it right there. And I'm so excited to be able to share that with you today. So it is after the church, after she matures and grows up and to be, becomes his bride, that these events take place. Aren't you glad you know him today? And it's only promised to the overcomers. Not everybody's going to get there, my friend. I want to be there. How about you? You want to be there? It excites me that you got two Rahabs, one that was converted, and then one that wasn't converted. See, God's trying to connect it all up for you. He's, he's giving you symbols. He's talking to you about a supper. He's talking to you about a trumpet. He's talking about being caught up. You know, into that chamber. He's talking about all of that. Then you see him sitting around the thrones there, enjoying it. It's awesome, man. How many out there are like this preacher? You made up your mind. You're not going to be a part of the children of pride. I could go to Ezekiel 29 to show you right now that Egypt was a type of that Leviathan. And it talked about how people connected themselves to the scales of that animal. But I don't have time for all that. In fact, Egypt, it, Pharaoh wore a serpent on his head. I don't have time. Read it for yourself. Ezekiel 29 also lays it out for you. But I'm just telling you right now, don't be a child of pride. Be an overcomer. Walk with God. Walk in, with the Lord in meekness. Yes, on fire. On fire. Lifting up Jesus Christ. Living a holy life before him. But I want to tell you right now, and this is the last thing I'm going to say. That if we're not careful, we will talk about maturity. We will say that we are now mature and that we're now grown. And really in our thinking, what it, you know, maturity and growing up is, is becoming stout-hearted. 
is becoming more stubborn. It's becoming hard-hearted. That's what we call maturity. Maturity is growing up in Him, which is the head. Maturity is walking in obedience to God Almighty. That's maturity. Maturity is walking in a, a level of relationship with God. It's not when you got, well, I'm tougher now because I've been through battle. Well, you ought to be. But that doesn't mean prideful or stout-hearted. And it doesn't mean you put up all your walls around you to protect yourself. Because God will bring them down every time. And I know people that today, they talk about maturity. And they talk about growing up. And all they become is just a people with walls around them. And they're hard and they're stout-hearted and they're full of pride. Some of them used to be powerful people in God, man. Walk in the Spirit. You could discern the Spirit of God in their life. But now, you know, they call rebellion maturity. That's not maturity, man. I want to walk with God. He's going to humble us, man. He's going to at times break us, man. Breaking our wheels and chastising us because He loves us and rebuking us because He loves us. He's getting a bride ready for a great event. I want to be a part of it. How about you? Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Woo! Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Father God, I praise you right now. I pray for your people today. Lord God, today, in Jesus' name, that we will walk in the truth. Walk in the Spirit. Thank you for the Word of God today. Thank you for revealing yourself to us today. We thank you, God, that you have given us an invitation to enter into the marriage chamber, the hoop of God, to be with Him. And I give you all the glory, all the praise, and all the honor. And Father, if we find ourselves in a seven-year tribulation period in the wilderness, we thank you that you have given a promise to the church that will overcome, that we will eat the flesh of captains and mighty men in a spiritual way, in a symbolic way. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. How I many you made up your mind you're going to live for God? I love you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this word this morning. I did my best, to, to, and of course by the Holy Ghost anointing, to bring it to you in a way that you could understand it. I pray that you understand the timing of Revelation 4 now that when you didn't understand it before. Okay? You're dismissed. I'll see you tonight. In Jesus' name, come back believing for a move of God. All right? Amen. Amen.